0: Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Mo Money Podcast. This is episode 262, and I'm your host, Jessica Morehouse. Welcome back to the show. Um, so excited to have you back, especially, hi, my Canadian listeners. I got a special guest for you. If you're from any other country, you're still going to want to listen because we talk about things that are applicable to everybody. But uh, I, I mention uh, this only because uh, I get so many messages asking, hey, um, do you have any good uh, Canadian-specific personal finance books or books on retirement or investing? And the sad truth is there's not a ton. There's a ton by Canadian authors. Well, maybe not a ton, that's still a stretch, but there are a lot of books by um, Canadian authors, but they usually keep the, the talk very general. If you want to know specifically about RSPs and TFSAs and CPP and OAS and all this jargon that does Canadians know then there's not too many books that really go in-depth about them. Luckily, I have another one to kind of add to my general list. Also, if you're ever wondering, and I'm going to have to update this actually, um, on my website, I have a list of all of my kind of top book recommendations, lots that have been uh, featured on the podcast over the years. If you go to jessicamoraz.com slash recommendations, that is where you'll find a big list of uh, book recommendations. Um So make sure to check that out. But anyways, I've got the wonderful Frederick Vatice. He is the former chief actuary of Morneau Chappelle, a major Canadian human resources firm. Uh, he's also the author of three books on retirement planning and a frequent contributor to the Globe and Mail on retirement issues. So that is what we're going to be talking about in this episode: retirement planning. His uh, latest book, called Retirement Income for Life, is honestly a must-read in my opinion. Believe me, read, I've read—I've read some books, guys. I've read some books. I've read a lot of books, and I'll tell you. When it comes to retirement planning or retirement income planning, There's a not a ton of books, uh, B, not a ton of books specifically for Canadians, and c not a ton of books that are good like good reads. You know, some of them are just they're just like textbooks. So this one actually, like I really really enjoyed reading, um, and loved having Frederick on the show. So that's what we're going to talk about in the show, and you're going to love it. It's it's important to understand this phase of the uh you know financial planning. Really, I think we're very and we talk about this in show. We talk so much or or think uh, so much about the accumulation stage of, I want to make sure I have enough for retirement, but then what happens? What happens when we're actually retired? I think uh, we haven't talked about this enough on the show. I'm not even sure if I've had anyone on the show to talk about this specifically. I'm not sure. I don't think so. Um, Anyway, so um, without further ado, well, actually, before... I get to that. And also, just a reminder, I'm doing my big book giveaway. Uh, So listen till the end of the episode to find out more information about that. I also have some very important details I'm going to share with you about my investing course that I know I promised to launch in January and we're going to do it. We're going to do it. It's happening. So uh, stay till the end of the episode to find more information about that. But first, before getting to that interview with Frederick, here's just a few words about this episode's podcast sponsor. This episode of the Mo Money Podcast is supported by the Canada Deposit Insurance Corporation, CDIC. Have you seen those commercials about CDIC and wondered, who are they, why do they exist, and why do they advertise? Well, those are some good questions. First, the Canada Deposit Insurance Corporation, or CDIC, is a federal crown corporation that protects your savings at their member institutions. Basically, this means that you won't lose your money in the unlikely case of a bank failure. Well, that's reassuring to know, but could a bank in Canada ever actually fail? You may be surprised to know that they can, and they have. Since its creation in 1967, the CDIC has handled over 40 of these failures, but the good news is no one has ever lost a penny of their savings under CDIC protection. Oh, and to answer the third question, CDIC advertises because public awareness has a direct impact on financial stability. In other words, when Canadians know about CDIC, they can make more informed decisions about their money. It's as simple as that. So make sure to visit cdic.ca to see how you're covered. Once again, that's cdic.ca to learn more. Well, welcome to the Mo Money Podcast, Frederick. I'm so excited to have you on the show.
1: I'm pleased to be on.
0: Yeah. So you wrote the book Retirement Income for Life and so this is the second edition because you you originally released it in, um a few years ago. Why did you uh you know in not too many years come out with a new version of the book?
1: Uh, I made the mistake of actually rereading the the book after not looking at it for 2 years. <laughs> and uh I decided that uh, I was missing a few chapters um I had a couple of chapters that I thought were superfluous. Some of the material actually changed in the interim. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to reorganize everything. So um, I was once told by a mentor many years ago that um, that uh, the uh, the urged edit is the only thing stronger than the sex drive. <laughs> uh, so I I now understand that. So that's why I created a second edition. But I promise not to, not to uh, do this again.
0: <laughs> well, I'm sure you will have to make a new version eventually in the future, just because I'm sure as you've kind of realized as you've you know uh, edited this, there, a lot of things have changed. And even when you like when this um like uh, the second edition came out, it was. Was it during the spring or when did this uh, come out?
1: This uh, was actually released. uh, It was actually written um, last winter, but it was released in October of 2020.
0: Right. And so a lot of things happened in 2020. How did that kind of... Uh, affect what actually ended up in the book? Because I'm sure you had one idea and then you're like, well, we have to put some new things in because this this is a kind of a crazy time.
1: It did affect things because in the old uh, edition, the first edition, I did talk about black swan events, about things that we can't really predict, <laughs> yeah. things that things that turn our life upside, upside down. But it was all done in a vacuum at the time and all done in theory. So I thought, well, you know what? We're actually in the middle of one. So I, I wrote the uh, a chapter about the uh, – about COVID-19, the pandemic, in, uh, in my newest edition. And I wrote it all in April, and I made, uh, made it a point not to edit it or revise it after April. I wanted to give the, the feeling of what it felt like to be right in the middle of it at the beginning when we didn't know what was going to happen, how it was going to unfold, how serious it was going to be ultimately, and how it would change our world. Because I wanted to put our, myself into the shoes of an investor who is living in an uncertain world and and showing well this is what happens in real life and so how how do we actually react to it how do we change our retirement planning to uh, to account for it
0: i'm curious um because you already had your original book out did you get a lot of messages or emails from people who were approaching retirement or in retirement kind of freaking out being like hey read your book i'm i'm just like not sure what to do because of the pandemic uh
1: yeah well because of the pandemic that would have been one reason also because of interest rates going down which was also a cause of the pandemic or a result of the pandemic um and uh, that was another reason like they said does it still make sense to to buy annuities because that was one of the enhancements i talked about in the book so yeah i had a lot of uh, a lot of emails about that
0: mm-hmm. and did it kind of sounds like your advice from your book kind of you know was consistent you're like even with this happening still what i say in the book is what i'd say
1: <laughs> what happened yeah so the five enhancements basically didn't change as a result of uh, writing a second edition, except the emphasis on those enhancements changed. So one of the enhancements, um, which by the way, most of the enhancements are hugely unpopular with the general population. (laughs) Go figure. But one of the enhancements was uh, deferring CPP until age age 70. And I I demonstrated as how that actually helps a lot. It helps to make sure that you never outlive your money. It actually gives you more money in, in later life and so on. And gives you a lot more assurance. You actually have more income. That's inflation protected by, and so on and so forth. But people just really don't like doing it. Anyway, I pointed out that with interest rates going even lower, that this enhancement makes even more sense because effectively it's guaranteeing, uh, for that portion of our money, it's guaranteeing us a return of 6%. And 6% riskless return at the time when banks are giving about uh, 0.2% on savings accounts is uh, is phenomenal. So how can you turn that down? On the other hand, annuities have become less pop, less uh, attractive and i did the i did the modeling of it and yeah there still is some sense in doing annuities but it's not as much of a slam dunk as it would have been two and a half years ago
0: mhm absolutely since you mentioned um well i, I i'm curious cuz I really liked your book and I was actually surprised how much I liked it because you did, uh, you were in a past life an actuary and I feel like I've met a few actuaries and I wouldn't really necessarily like you should write a book so I'm sure you'll write it in a way that's understandable and digestible for the the masses but you actually did that. You actually did a really good job.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks thanks for saying that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, It's like, you know, actuaries are very smart but not necessarily the most eloquent when it comes to like, you know, not dumbing down but like can you make it so it's, you know, uh, easy to to understand so you did a great job
1: well thank, thanks very much for that
0: yeah can you explain a, a little bit about your background what drew you to to write this book i i'm curious because there's like you kind of say in the book there's there's not a lot of people who have written about this topic which is about when you're in retirement or approaching retirement what to do you're totally hit the nail on the head almost all the books out there are about building wealth not about the um you know decumulation stage
1: well i was uh I was an executive and a chief actuary of a major consulting firm in Canada, Morneau Chappelle. Uh, Actually, my old boss was Bill Morneau, uh, our former uh, federal uh, finance Mm -hmm. minister. In any event, um, about 10 years ago, I just decided that I wanted to change uh, my responsibilities, change what I did there, and uh, just make a career change, but within the same firm. So I had a chance to move away from the operations end of things and move into the uh, thought leadership. Um, you can put quotation marks around that, uh, <laughs> for, for the company. And so I started writing, uh, articles and so on. And I fortunately I got in uh, early on with National Post and then Globe and Mail. And I wrote quite a few articles for them over the years, probably over a hundred now. Um, but, um, about nine years ago, there was a lot of talk about how the country has a retirement crisis, which we didn't have then. Uh, the best protected people in the country were seniors. And I told my old boss, Bill, I said, we should write a book about this. So that was my first book called The Real Retirement. Then anyway, fast forward, and then I wrote a second book. And then the third book came about when I was in a sitting in a, uh, um, a, a conference uh, given by the Institute of Actuaries, uh, at the conference, one of the, uh, the session leaders talked about, uh, decumulation, i.e., how do you actually turn your lump sum, your nest egg into income in retirement? And, uh and anyway, that it, all kinds of ideas exploded in my head when I heard this. First of all, they gave some good ideas. Also, I thought they got things not quite right. But main thing is I realized that no one's really turned their attention to it, including us actuaries, not to any great extent at that point in time. Uh, you're hearing more about it now, but there wasn't much then. And finally, I realized that the financial advisors, um, uh, bless your hearts, kind of got this wrong uh, as to what advice they were giving to people who were retiring So I thought this is a great time for it. And by the way, it also came at a time when over a thousand Canadians were turning 65 every day. So it, it was a good time for it, I felt. And that's why I wrote the book.
0: Absolutely. And I, I feel like even if, um you know, because a good portion of the audience for this show are, are younger people, well, millennials, as we were getting older. We're not in our 20s anymore. <laughs> we're in our 30s. <laughs> um, but still, I think a lot of, I mean, a lot of the guests I've had on the show to talk about investing in retirement, it's really about that that beginning, the retirement planning stages, how to make sure we have enough for retirement. um and it's like i need to have someone on the show to talk about what do we do once we're there even though that's decades into the future it's important to know cuz you don't want to be 65 you're like okay so now what like you should probably have a plan in place do you want to kind of share some of your advice for when you're approaching retirement what are some steps you should take so you so you have a plan you don't turn 65 you have that retirement party and then you have no clue what to
1: do that's uh, that's exactly right. You do want to plan in advance. And this actually was one of the other reasons why I had to write a second edition. Um, because the people who were coming to me, I mean, friends of mine, acquaintances, pe- people I knew who thought they'd come to me for advice uh, and and I helped them with their planning a little bit. They were all in the same category and none of them were really covered in my book. The Because cat- my book really covered, well, you have your nest egg, you're on the verge of retirement, what do you do with your money? They were actually all about five to ten years out. I mean, they were close enough to retirement to be able to to uh, get a whiff of it but they uh, they weren't sure what whether or not they were still on the right track and what they still had to do in their remaining years so that's why i i rewrote the book partially for them and and so the biggest thing you want to do is you want to get a really good idea of how much retirement income you're going to have and you want to actually look at spendable income um so you want to figure out how much spendable income you're going to have in retirement, given your nest egg. So you needed to have a way to do that. And that's why I, I created a better retirement calculator that coincided with the book, which I, I call PERC, a Personal Enhanced Retirement Calculator. Um, so that's free. It's available on, on online if you go to perc.mornochapelle.com. Oh, awesome.
0: Yeah. And, I love a good calculator. <laughs> and it's,
1: it's actually one of the rare things online where you don't have to give your email address, so you don't get any, any unwanted emails. You don't have any sales calls because you don't have to give your phone number or anything like that. You don't have to give it. You put in confidential information, but you don't have your, you're not identified. So it's all all erased after you leave the session in any event. So it's just a free service. And the reason I did it um, was because uh, otherwise the book would have been pretty close to useless. Because if you don't know how much income you can draw, then nothing else really mattered. So, but but I then I realized we can actually use this even when we're ten years out from retirement to figure out well how much income will I be able to draw ten years from now if things keep on going the way they are? Do I need to ramp up you know my RRSP spending or maybe kind of cut back on RSP spending? What do I have to do in order to kind of be there to have the right glide path to actually be ready for retirement? So that that would be the biggest step I would say for people who are you know within shouting distance of retirement to uh, take a look at perk. And uh, plug in their own numbers.
0: Well, I'm going to plug in my numbers. I'm I'm definitely like far away from retirement, but I like to pl- I like planning in advance. So <laughs> I like I like seeing different scenarios and seeing what's going on. Though I guess my parents are are about that. They're about five to ten years out, so this might be a good book to yeah. give. Out. Or just, you know, or I could just, you know, send them this episode. Yeah. <laughs> a little nudge there. Um, yeah. So I I, I find um, this topic of retirement income. I've had some conversations with people who, because, uh, you know, I work with uh, one-on-one clients as well. And uh, some of them are like a little bit older, 40s, 50s, um, thinking about that kind of retirement. And usually I have to refer them out to someone who's, you know, retirement specialist who can help them create that retirement plan while they're in retirement. And I think sometimes it can can be kind of scary because it's it's already intimidating and scary to to plan for retirement to build that nest egg thinking of then having this nest egg and drawing it, I, and you, you know, definitely mentioned this in the book, people's biggest fears is outliving the money that they saved up. You spend your whole life saving up this amount of money. It's terror. The idea that you'll spend it all within 10 to 20 years is, and, and run out is terrifying. Um, and you do definitely, um, kind of share some different scenarios, which I really appreciate and, and give some examples, but, I mean and your experience as an actuary too seeing you know a bunch of data how common is it for people to actually outlive their savings is it common or is that kind of just a a fear
1: um people could certainly do that but those are our- the rare anecdotes in Canada, it seems to be more like an American phenomenon than, than Canadian. Um, it's not that common simply because people are fearful of it. And so they do everything in their power to make sure it doesn't happen. And until interest rates went down to nearly zero, the biggest thing they did was they tried not to touch their principal, you know, their actual capital, and they all tried to live on, on just the investment income. But we've now reached the point where you can't live on investment income anymore when interest rates are like 1% um, or less. And so you, you do have to actually start thinking about you know, a, a systematic way of actually drawing down your money. And you're right. I mean, this is very scary for people because when you're 20 or 30 or even 40, you can make any number of, of mistakes uh, or any amount of, uh, in terms of, you know, spending too much, not saving enough, and all that. But you can still, you can still save yourself. Uh, you still have enough income in the future that you can rectify the situation. But once you reach retirement age, it, you're kind of done. You've got your money. Now you have to. You have to draw it down the best possible way. Um, and th- th- there are two mistakes we can make. One of them, the, the common mistake people think is that they'll draw their money too fast. But the far more common mistake people will make, in actual fact, is uh, not drawing it fast enough and being left with a large amount of money. There's all kinds of stories of uh, uh, ants you have who, who were aged 85, 90, and they died and they left a, left a ton of money, a lot more money than they thought they ever had because they never spent it during their lifetime. And part of the problem is, and I actually talk about this in the book, part of the problem is we think our spending is going to be keeping up with inflation for our whole life. But uh, studies in all kinds of different countries, uh, Canada included, have shown that we don't do that. We, We do keep up with inflation in our spending, and maybe even a bit more than inflation, in our 60s. But once we reach 70, something happens. We just start spending less. We maybe aren't quite as keen on exotic travel anymore um uh, at a certain point maybe at 75 80 we might lose a spouse and and then things like that just become less less interesting we stop buying durable goods like like furniture my my parents have the same uh furniture that they had since the 1960s um but, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah yeah so but we just end up spending less money and and it's not because we ha- we haven't got the money to spend because this is across the board high income levels and low income levels and so, so the bigger problem is that we end up, you know, being too cautious with our money because we don't know how much to spend. And that's why I created the per calculator. And so we end up underspending. And then that, and, uh, later on, we may have regrets when we're 80 or 90, uh, 80, 85, because we could have spent more money and had maybe more fun taking an extra couple of cruises when we were 70 than we did. But that's uh, that's how it is. So I want to make sure people are spending at the right pace. And yeah, you want to be properly cautious and conservative, but you don't want to be too cautious.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And I've read that um, statistic before too, that um, as you get older, you just spend less. And that's kind of what I've seen with my grandparents too. And I think it's, you mentioned this in the book and I think it's really important because I've talked to a lot of people who are like part of the fire community. So the people that have like, you know, uh, retired early in their thirties or or forties, and they always kind of talk about the 4% rule and in their mind, it's, Usually, how they talk about it is, it's like a consistent or a constant percentage that they're drawing, and you kind of talk about how that may not make actual sense when you're in, you know, true retirement over sixty-five or uh, whatnot to draw the same percentage. Because, well, a like, and and that makes sense to me too. It's like, well, you don't always need the same amount to live off every year, especially as uh, you get older, and you just need less money. So it doesn't make sense to do anything constant. I think that makes a lot of sense. And you talk about how important it is kind of to revisit your retirement budget, I think, on a yearly basis to see where you're at. That seems like the best way to kind of ma- manage your um, retirement income and make sure that you don't outlive it or you don't, you know, are too frugal. And then right. you're left with a big amount of money that you're, I mean, hey, the people in your will are going to be happy about that. But maybe you'll have regrets that you didn't, you know, splurge on this thing or, or do this experience because you could have afforded it. It's, it's something that's not supposed to be fixed, I guess. And I think a lot of people think it is and it's not.
1: But the impression is still that we have to. We need a lot of money uh, when when we're eighty, ninety, We have to. We're going to keep on spending at various at very high rates. But that is. So I hear all kinds of anecdotes. Uh, for example, one of my friends said, because I, I I've been saying this for quite a number of years. One of my friends said, well, that's not true at all. My father's eighty five. He spends all kinds of money. So I said, really, tell me, tell me how. And then he thought about it, and he was drawing a blank. And then he realized, well, he was spending his money on on paying rent for his daughter. Uh, But he was spending nothing on himself. And my friend suddenly realized that he actually wasn't. I mean, he was giving it away because he wasn't spending it on himself. That was one example.
0: It sounds like my grandparents.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I remember my own grandmother. This goes back many years now. But she had virtually no money. She had a very small uh, pension from Italy. Uh, she was living with in Canada now, but so she would have been deemed poor by by government standards because she had virtually no income. But she was living with us. And so she had all her needs met. And and so whatever little money she had, she just gave away to her grandchildren because she wasn't spending any of it.
0: It also sounds like my grandma. Yeah. <laughs>
1: these stories, these stories go on and on, but they're not just anecdotal. Stuff, it's also statistical as well. I mean, that just is how how it ends up happening. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, you still do want to have money in, in, at, you don't want to, you would want to run out. And I do have an example in my book. I start off with at the very first chapter showing how, um, how they can run out, you know, if they follow the 4% rule and they have no, 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 they only have to live on only government pensions after age 80, essentially. Um, and that obviously isn't what you want to do. And that actually, so I did talk about the 4% rule in my book. And by the way, just for, I guess, listeners who don't fully understand it, 4% rule is you take your assets at the point of retirement, take 4% of that, and that establishes your income level in retirement, and then you increase it by, by inflation every year after that. Um, that actually doesn't work anymore. It, w- it would have worked 30 years ago. When you had a, a, a real uh, after inflation four percent return on bonds, but now the return on bonds or the yield on bonds is essentially uh, zero or one percent, and actually that's that's uh, nominal. Neg- the actual the real yield is actually negative. So you can't do that anymore. You can't. You can't actually uh, use the four percent rule. And I, in the book, I also show if you have a, a bad investment scenario, which is quite hot. Uh, it's quite. It can happen. I I, look, I I call it a fifth percentile scenario. Something that happens only once every twenty times. But I show if you have a bad investment scenario, you can run out using the four percent rule. So you do have to think about spending your money in a different fashion than that. So I didn't want to be alarmist. I mean, I don't want people to think they're likely to run out of their money, but they can't.
0: Yeah. It's like, it's possible, but it's unlikely, but it is possible.
1: <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. No, I, I, absolutely. And I, I appreciate too that you talk about, because again, I feel like there's, um, when people are talking about this subject, they really do talk about rules of thumb a lot because it's easy to to digest and comprehend, but that's not really how things work, you do need to to run um, different scenarios, which you actually do uh, in your book, which is I think really helpful to see what could happen and what are their different. And I feel like that's also what I've been seeing with a lot more um, investment companies and robo-advisors before. The, I feel like the graphs that they used to show is like, if you continue to contribute this amount, you'll end up with this Im- uh, amount of money by the time you retired. Now, they're actually showing graphs. They're like, actually, here's a bunch of different scenarios because we actually can't guarantee this. <laughs> which I'm like, good. Right, right. That's good. Because, uh, yeah, we need to kind of uh, Uh, be aware that and that's i think the other kind of uh annoying thing that people kind of get i i guess kind of concerned about is so no one can really guarantee me or or tell me how much i'm going to have or or how much my money is going to last because no one can predict the future is that something that you kind of come across and you're like yeah (laughs) a
1: hundred percent people you cannot predict the future Uh um in addition to all the all the usual things it's not only the things that we we know we don't know it's also the things we don't know that we don't know i mean are both those things are are possible and and they can affect um what's going to happen in retirement, having said that. One of my enhancements was having a backstop, and that is being able to tap into the equity in your home. And I, I do that by by way of a reverse mortgage in one of my chapters. But I, I tried to create a scenario under which a couple had to do that. So I, I started off with the idea, well, they followed all the other enhancements, so they did everything else right, and they still ran out of money, and so they can then tap this last enhancement and uh, tap the equity in their home to, to make ends meet. And I found it was really hard to actually find a scenario in which – uh, they had to worry about this backstop, this reverse mortgage, because if they do everything else right, it's actually very hard to run out of money and and to be to be actually in dire straits in your in your in your eighties if you if you do it or everything else right.
0: Well, that's good to know. Um, and I, I think also an a a part that I really enjoyed too is a lot of people, you know, think when they're just, you know, uh drawing down their retirement savings and, and living off it that they spend all of that money that they're withdrawing. I think a lot of people don't realize that, especially for your your RIF, there are mandatory withdrawal rates and I think a lot of people think, well, what if I don't need all that money? It's like, it doesn't matter. You still have to withdraw it, but you don't have to spend all of it. You talk about how there's certain like different, you know, life shocks, um, you know, you know, kind of a life emergencies that may pop up. And that's why it's actually important to save. And I I think that was an interesting concept that a lot of people don't think about that when you're in retirement, you can continue to save money, which seems maybe a bit counterintuitive because you're like, but I saved up all my money. Do you want to kind of explain the importance of actually putting aside some money and having some savings while in retirement?
1: Well, I I actually, before I started writing the book, I actually had trouble with this concept myself. I figured, well, people save for retirement, but once you're retired, what do you have to still keep on saving for? Um, and and if you have a lot of money, if we're talking about people with seven figures in terms of savings, then uh, they always can dip into their savings to to take care of that rainy day situation where you know the the roof uh, springs a leak and and they have a massive flooding in the house and they have a, a big bill that they have to cover. So they can always handle that. But for for the people who I wrote the book for, those who are middle income who are just trying to save properly and have a a, a decent comfortable retirement, uh, they do have to worry about spending shocks. Spending shocks are. Um, it, first of all, it'll be things that, um, that you can't predict. It might be like a, a health issue. And as a result, you need to have, uh, uh pr- home care for, for six months or a year. And, and that costs money. Most of the medical bills are covered, but there are still things which aren't covered and that can cost money. So that would be the kind of thing that you can't do anything about. Some of the spending shocks, and this is based on a study that was done by the Society of Actuaries. Some of the spending shocks you should totally be able to predict. Like you have to re, repave your driveway. You have to re-single your roof every 10 or 15 years and. And yet they come as shocks when the time comes, and <laughs> they really haven't uh, got the money set aside for it. Um, so I suggest in the book that you think about, uh, a- even in retirement, uh, putting aside three to five percent of your income that you're drawing, um, and put it into a, a reserve fund. Uh, just uh, put it aside, like in a in in a special in a s- separate place, so that you can actually dip into that when you need to as opposed to having to cut back on every other aspect of your life.
0: Exactly. Because you, you kind of explain it really well in the book and that, you know, if you don't do this, then whenever something like this does pop up, and I mean, in regular life, these po- things pop up, like something breaks down in your house, like your boiler, and you have to replace it. You need money, you need to have some emergency savings for these uh, situations. And so why would that change in retirement? And it's it's kind of, yeah, it's no one wants to live in retirement when something pops up, because something always will, and you have to then change your habits and your spending patterns. You know how hard that is. You know what's easier: having that savings tucked away, so you can afford to pay for whatever the thing is you need to pay for. So I, I'm, I'm curious. With this book, you've probably talked to a lot of uh, people, maybe you know, writing the book or you know, from your first uh, edition. Um, how many people have kind of taken some of the advice from your book? And uh, do you have any kind of perspectives on how this has maybe changed their outlook on retirement or, or how they're living their retirement? Um.
1: Certainly, there are many people who have taken my advice. I do get emails from the public um, pretty much on a weekly basis, and somebody is telling me that, or they're following, and then they just want some clarification on a point, or they're thanking me for the advice I've given them. Um, so that happens. I actually get surprisingly few emails from people who say that I'm totally out to lunch. Oh, um, well, that's good. Now, <laughs> I, I get, now, I get comments like that in my Global Mail articles, and I, oh, well. <laughs> I've i been advised quite a, lot, quite a while ago, don't read the comments. Yeah, don't
0: read the comments. You'll go
1: crazy if you read the comments. So I, uh, I don't read them anymore. Um, but uh, from the ones I've seen, yes, there's a tremendous amount of resistance to uh, to some of the enhancements. Um, the first one, reducing investment fees. People might shrug their shoulders and say, how important can this be? And these days of low, low returns, low interest rates, it's hugely important. But uh, there's not much pushback on that the deferring deferring cpp until 70 as i mentioned yeah huge pushback the canada the canada pension plan actuary the chief actuary shows that maybe 1% of people wait until age 70 to start their canada pension plan and and it should be it should be more like 50% should start it by age 70 not it's not for everybody by the way and i point this out in the book but it's it's for the vast majority of us it actually is a good thing but there's a lot of pushback on that I mean, and um and I see one reason why it happens um, I, I haven't talked much about the uh, the financial advice planners out there some of them cert- t- totally subscribe to my my views and some of them resist them and I can understand why even if they want to be fair, this goes totally against their own um, monetary interests if um, if you, they defer until seventy it means that they're drawing down their own money that much faster and if the advisor is getting a percentage of that money, then they see their remuneration dropping down that much faster. So they're going to be straining to find reasons as to why this isn't a good idea.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's important. Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't want to be totally cynical. I mean, some of them might be that's that cynical and, and, and just based it on their pure self-interest. Uh, majority of advisors I've talked to, they, they seem to be uh, – uh, to try to be more conscientious than that. They do want to do a good job, but they have trouble seeing past that because their own their own self interest is so adversely affected.
0: Yeah, I'm curious, uh, in your view, how is it essential or is it you know important to have a financial planner or advisor work with you during this phase of you know um, entering retirement or or just um, managing your retirement income? Or is this something that if you know this stuff, you could do it yourself?
1: Uh, you know what? A few of us could do it ourselves. I mean, actuaries can do it themselves. Um, I, I'm not sure how many people, other people can. For example, even accountants, I mean, they'll certainly understand some aspects very, very well, but other aspects not very well at all. I know one accountant who's been advising me that, um, you know, I should be, um, for example, I should be trying to create um, income through a corporation so that my, my, uh, my wife can pay Canada pension plan contributions. And I say, well, that's actually one of the worst investments out there. And then I have to explain to him as to why that is. And this is a totally separate subject, so we won't get into it. Yeah, yeah. My point is, my point is that not a lot of people can actually do all this. Now, I think you, it would be very useful to have advice, uh, probably from a fee only financial planner, not a commissions based, um, for the few months leading up to and maybe into retirement, just to get all your affairs in order, make sure that you've got the will and you got your estate property settled and so on and so forth. Um, that would be tremendously useful. You don't really need to have an advisor to look at your investments and your asset mix every six months. You really don't need that your mix is going to change very slowly, if at all, in your retirement, at least uh, for many, many years.
0: Mm-hmm. And that, that's something you mentioned in the book, too, because I think historically, uh, it's been kind of, you know, once you're in retirement, typically you're going to have an asset mix of 50% stocks, 50% bonds. But you've kind of seen, you know, so many changes uh, in, in in our world that you're like, maybe that's actually too conservative because of what's going on with bonds. Maybe something closer to 60, 40 might actually be better.
1: Yeah, uh, and actually, for younger people, if, they're, if you're 25 or 30 or even 35, you should be 100% in stocks, which, uh, I mean, I've done the done the analysis, and over 30-year periods of investments, stocks are always going to do better than than a mix of stocks and bonds. You're always going to do better just to have being purely in stocks. At retirement, obviously, you have to be, be a bit more cautious, and that's why 50-50, 60-40, if you buy the annuity, um, you can definitely be 60-40 because the annuity is kind of like, uh, like bonds.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's it's. I feel like just because so much has changed over the past few years, a lot of the kind of typical investing advice that we got, like if you read a investing book from ten years ago, so much has changed, and we have to. It's hard to. I, I think we're just, uh, as investors slower to kind of adapt because you're just saying oh yeah if you're 35 or you know younger you should be a hundred percent in stocks and I'm like I guarantee you most people are not most people in that age range are like doing a 70 30 maybe 80 20 um in their asset mix just because that's like lots of the advice that they got in the past for like that's what aggressive but still you know a hundred percent equities that's crazy you know <laughs>
1: Well, you know what? Almost, almost nothing of what I'm saying is actually wildly controversial for, for the experts out there, the, the academics, uh, the actuaries, they, uh, who've actually looked at this closely, they all, all understand all this stuff. And there's actually very, very high agreement. It would be when you look at the, uh, the general public and financial advisors with their own uh, different set of interests and all that, where all this becomes controversial. And they are a few years behind. The thing is the academics don't tend to talk to, uh, the, the general public yeah. uh, directly. <laughs> and so, and so their their ideas get slow, only slowly disseminated.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly what's happening. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, there's so many good things in your book, so many more things that we could talk about. But I feel like, because there is, like, I felt like it was honestly very rich. I, I've read, I mean, I've had this podcast for over five years now. I've read quite a few books, not a ton on retirement income planning specifically. So I appreciate this. And this is also Canadian, which is also, I get so many requests. I'm like, what are some good Canadian books about investing? There's not a ton out there. Um, so I really appreciate this book, but you really do... I, I felt like it was meaty, which I really appreciate. I've read too many books that are like, well, this is a bunch of fluff. <laughs> so this was great. I really, really appreciate this. Um, so I think people are going to love it who want to know more about the specific topic. Um. Before I let you go, is there anything else you want my listeners to kind of know some really important key things you're like, this is one thing I want to kind of make sure I get across?
1: The only other thing I would say is that uh, we are going to be in a a world of low interest rates and low investment returns, which isn't obvious yet because stock market returns have been very good. But the time is coming when returns and interest rates are going to be low for a very long time to come. So, yes, uh, retirement planning is going to be more of a challenge than it's ever been.
0: Yeah, gosh. So I guess this is. Uh, there's never been a, a better time to equip yourself with some knowledge, <laughs> so you know what to expect and and what to do moving forward. Yeah. Well, before I let you go, um, where can people find more information about you or grab a copy of your book or and what's that? Can you remind me what that link for that calculator is? I'm sure lots of people are going to want to check it out.
1: Uh, yeah. The link for the calculator is uh, perc.mornochapelle.com. P-E-R-C uh, and dot morno morno and the other- but they can find out more about me if they wish, I guess, on uh, on on my – I actually have a website now. This was actually a Christmas present from my wife. I, I I never got around to doing it myself, but it's uh, frederickveteese.com.
0: <laughs> and grab a copy of Retirement Income for Life. Uh, I guess you can kind of get it anywhere, pretty much. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, pretty much, yeah.
0: Pretty much, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me on the show.
1: Well, th- thanks for talking to me. I appreciate it.
0: And that was episode 262 of the Mo Money Podcast. You can uh, find more information about Frederick on his LinkedIn. Connect with Frederick Batiste on LinkedIn. I'll, of course, include links of uh, where you can find him and also just important things you need to know in the show notes, jessicamorehouse.com slash 262. And you can find the show notes for any episode ever by just going to jessicamorehouse.com slash whatever the number of that episode is. So, and and also an easy way, actually, it's just going to jessicamorehouse.com slash podcast. And you can find every episode I've ever done will be on my website. So you can listen, you can find links, all that good stuff is on my website. Now with uh, Frederick's book, Retirement Income for Life, again, you can find that pretty much at any bookstore. Um, but I am giving away a copy. So I'm giving away copies of any book that is featured on this season of the show. So I'm giving away a copy of uh, the book that was featured last week called uh, Back to Business. So if you go to jessicamorehouse.com slash contest, you can find uh, all the information about entering uh, those book giveaways. So check it out. Um, you can check it out frequently. I'll be add, you know, updating it as I have new guests on the show and we have a book to give away. Um, but another way that you can find out um, more information about this giveaway is, well, I'll, I'll always include a link on the show notes, but also my email list, com slash subscribe. There's links like, and you know, uh, there's a button like on my website, very easy to find. De- definitely sign up to my email list because, uh, well, I'm going to share a little bit more info in a hot second, but that is How you find out all of these important announcements and things all the time is the email list. Um, So since I've kind of teased it, um, well, you're going to have to wait a hot second later. I just have a few words I'm going to share about this podcast episode's sponsor, then some very important, exciting information about my upcoming uh, investing course. This episode of the Momity Podcast is supported by the Canada Deposit Insurance Corporation, CDIC. Did you know that CDIC protects up to $100,000 per category per member institution? Let's break that down, shall we? First, if you hold savings in cash, GICs, or other term deposits, or even foreign currency at a CDIC member institution, those deposits would be protected up to $100,000. And if you have joint deposits with someone else, those deposits would also be covered up to the $100,000. Same goes for deposits in your RRSP, TFSA, RRIF, and trust accounts each would be protected separately up to $100,000. And that is at the same institution. Now, if you bank with more than one CDIC member institution, the situation repeats itself. So if you've had $300,000 spread evenly across three different banks or categories, your entire $300,000 would be protected. See what I did there? It's important to know this so you can maximize your deposit insurance coverage. To learn all the ins and outs of how CDIC works so you can feel confident about the safety of your savings, make sure to visit cdic.ca. Once again, that's cdic.ca to learn more. But what's the deal? What's what's going on with this investing course? So, uh, as I teased, if you're on my email list, then you already know this. As I teased, um, not last week, but maybe the week before, uh, it's it's getting ready. There's a logo I made, Um, the new name, which I'm going to share with you right now. It's called Wealth Building Blueprint for Canadians. So, yes, it is specifically for Canadians. Sorry for anyone who. Uh, it's not Canadian, but if you're an American, actually, if you go to jessicamorace.com slash courses, my friend Amanda from the US has an amazing investing course that you're definitely going to want to check out. So you can check that one out. Highly recommend that. But for Canadians who want to learn specifically about investing in Canada, investing uh, and, and the different account types like RSPs and TFSAs and the different robo-advisors and how to actually you know, implement a DIY uh, investment portfolio and manage it yourself and all that in Canada well, I got you. I, I It's here. It's coming. Um, and basically how you're going to find out about it first is to sign up to my email list, jessicamorehouse.com slash subscribe. Make sure to sign up to my email list because I'm going to be sending out a very special email on Sunday. So keeping my word that I am launching it before, you know, the, this month, is over, um, and basically how it's going to work. Well, I'm going to include more details actually in the email. I'm not going to tell you right now. I'm going to have to. You're going to have to sign up to my email list to find out how you can actually sign up for this course. Um, it's not going to be like regular courses where you can just hit a button and buy. There's going to be a little bit of a vetting process. Basically, you have to apply to uh, take the course because basically. I don't want this just to be any old course that you buy and then you never actually do. Um, I want you to take this course, actually do it, and get results. And the result is that you either start investing and have a very solid investment plan and know exactly what you're doing and you feel very confident about it, or if you are currently investing like, you know, most people are, really doing a review of what you're doing and adjusting your investment plan so it better reflects your goals and and all these other important elements. So that could be, you know, really switching up what you're doing. I mean, most of the people that I talk to You know, uh, either financial counseling clients or just you know the the many many people I talk to over social media or email or or call because I've been doing a ton of these like course discovery calls to find out what people want to know about. Almost everyone I talk to, I'm like, what are you investing in? And usually it's mutual funds in the bank, which you know I'm not a big fan of at all. Um, And so this would be a great opportunity for you to learn what you don't know and just really understand. First, kind of the first phase of the course is really that foundations of uh, information. You need to know this stuff before you can move on to the action phase. Before you start investing, you need to know this stuff and really understand it. I see too many people, because I do lurk in some investing Facebook groups, that are just like, hey, all right, I've got $1,000. What should I buy? I'm like, that is the worst way to start investing. You are going to make mistakes that way. You need to know what you're doing and make a plan. And then you initiate the plan. And that is kind of the the action part of the course. So um, yeah, I'm going through it all. I have so many amazing video tutorials. I'm spending my own personal money um, testing out pretty much all of the different robo-advisors in Canada. I think in total seven. I may add another one on top of that. Um, and then I also show you if you want to be a DIY investor, which means you know, opening up a discount brokerage account, um, building your own portfolio, managing it yourself, rebalancing, how does that all work and have all these amazing spreadsheets and resources and video tutorials on how to actually do it. And I actually do it with my own money to show you this is actually how you do it. It's so simple. Like That's the exciting part. Once you go through the course and you see what's in there, you're like, oh, I don't know why I thought this was intimidating or really hard. It really isn't. Investing is actually so simple. It's actually annoying how simple it is because people do love to overcomplicate it. So anyways, uh, that's a little bit. Uh, If you book a call with me to learn more about uh, this course, which again, I'm going to include a special link, um, in the email that I'm going to send out on Sunday. I'm going to share more about it and actually give you a little look at uh what's in there so very excited very very exciting um so there's so much more in the course that i i'm not telling you right now so um but yeah it's going to be amazing and i'm very very excited about it and then if you're wondering hey don't you have that other course it was called fix your finances Masterclass, and now it doesn't exist Uh, you said you're going to update that absolutely just wanted to get this one done uh first and then i'm going to revamp that um course and that'll be very exciting as well so that's kind of the tea. That's kind of the tea. What's going on? Um, before I let you go though, just a reminder, make sure to follow me on Twitter, please. Um, I'm at Jesse, J E S S I underscore Morehouse. You can also follow the money, uh, the Mo Money podcast on Twitter. It's at Mo Money Podcast. And same with Instagram. Um, I'm, I, I've been doing a lot more, um, ask me any things, um, which are very exciting. Like, just like if you have any kind of personal finance question or investing question or whatever, I've been doing a lot more AMAs and this is a way where you can ask me your question directly and I will answer back. So make sure to follow me on Instagram at Jessica I Morehouse. You can also follow the Mo Money podcast at Mo Money podcast. So that is it for me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'll be back next week with a fresh one on a Wednesday. So uh, stay safe, stay warm, and sign up to my email list, jessicamorehouse.com slash subscribe to find out more information about my upcoming investing course. All right. See ya. Have a good day.
1: This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.